Time, monster. You don't belong in this world. It was not by my hand that I'm once again given flesh. I was called here by Shane and Chris. Who wish to pay me tribute. Tribute? You steal men's souls and make them your subscribers. Perhaps the same could be said of all podcasts. Your words are as empty as your Sunday streams. Mankind ill needs a podcast such as you. What is a retro gaming podcast? A miserable little pile of dick jokes. But enough talk. How about you? Internet, welcome back. We're on the show that is bringing big, beautiful boners born of bountiful bags of brand new bloodstained. This is the Retro Hangover Podcast, episode 40, and I am your co host, Chris Copleen. And as always, I am with your host, Shane Suckin' Dick Dragon Incubus Koski. Okay, wait a, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Yes. I'm not sure I like how that was phrased. Uh, you're the sucking dick dragon incubus. Yeah, but like, could we could we move the sucking word like to anywhere other than before dick? Just could, could we do that? Uh, no. Great. I just I'm super I, I don't excited think it would be one. I don't think, you know, it would be appropriate anywhere else. I think it's perfectly fine where it is. Doesn't make any implication. Well, fantastic. I've gone from a dick dragon to now a dragon that apparently sucks dick. <laughs> I don't know if I like this evolution. This is the worst Pokemon. It says Incubus. Incubus. You're, you're a dick dragon Incubus. That sucks. That doesn't, I would say that doesn't solve the first problem, but whatever, Inc- that's fine. Incubus sucks. Incubus. So Chris, how, how are you I'm doing? I'm doing fantastic. Let's just move on. <laughs> it's, it's a great day of great. not sucking dick dragon Incubus. Yeah. Yeah, it must be for you. Uh, I did I did a nice long run today, which was a mistake because it's uh, that sounds it's awful. Just like the air is so heavy right now, and I, I have a feeling I'll be complaining about the air again in the same method about two weeks from today. So it's it's a really really bad month. Oh, I was gonna say it's not even August yet, so there's plenty of more complaining to to be had. Oh, I have a feeling I'm gonna be complaining about the air again in August. Or at least close to August. Yeah. Sometime yeah. in July. Also, I, I just categorically disagree with your decision to to run like ever. Oh, well, I try to run as much as possible, but I hate the summer because in the summer mm-hmm. running is just awful. It's, yeah, it's the running's worst. pretty much just always awful, but I'm, I'm very happy for you. Oh, well, you should be. Argu- arguably, you're probably in better shape than I am. <laughs> so, I mean, I try to be. In any specifically, case, specifically better than me. Is that that's what you're trying to do? Well, it's for the time being, yes. I mean, I have to have goals and I like to set them low. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I am nothing if not providing a low bar for you. So you're welcome. Uh, but uh, it is a great day today on the Retro Hangover podcast. Um, we've had some successful live streams. Yeah, we've got uh, we, we, yeah. we've got a couple of patrons that have joined us now. So we've got we've got company. We're not completely alone. So that's nice. Yeah. 
And uh, just I I I just I don't know how to fill this segment with anything else more than banter. So what are you playing recently, Shane? How are you doing gaming wise? Um, what have I been playing? Uh, well, more of the same, honestly. Um, since the last time we recorded one of these things, um, still still working on Pokemon Let's Go. This is just post game stuff now, so you know I'm trying to fill my Pokedex and get some extra Master Balls and you know bet you are do the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know it. What am I at? Like a hundred and. 109 or something which given that it's just gen one plus like melton but like that's actually an achievable number i i have a personal thing against the fact that there's like what close to if not over a thousand pokemon like canonically now which is ridiculous also just the fact that like a bunch of pokemon fans are bitching about sword and shield not including all past pokemon and like the developers were just like um, yeah, like at some point we weren't going to carry over like a thousand fucking Pokemon in this game. I just, well, like magic... this isn't a Pokemon episode, so. <laughs> no, I mean, card games, um, they carry over all their shit, right? Eh, kinda. I mean, you can technically play like an alpha magic card today, but it might not, you know, it might not necessarily work as well with some of the new mechanics or anything. Plus like the, the actual, if you're playing in an actual like tournament or something like that they have game formats for that where you wouldn't be able to use older cards anyway so it kind of keeps the meta current but uh but anyway um yeah i got that uh outside of that not a whole lot i um i went what did i just oh uh actually thanks to a tip from one of our patrons i I went and picked up cosmic star heroin for well, technically it's on sale for like six bucks and change, but I had enough gold points in my Nintendo account that I got it for free. So, Oh, okay. We're talking about a video game. Yeah. No, uh, actually I was just talking about a really good deal on heroin. So, well, you do live in, you do live in an area where you probably could get that pretty easily. Uh, you say that, but around here it's, uh, meth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say you, you could swing a dead cat and probably hit someone that's got some meth available for sale so it know. might be meth into the dead cat mm, smart might, I like not, how you might not swing it might might want to tauntaun that cat first just chuck it over the border <laughs> oh uh but yeah that that's pretty much it for me man but uh what about you anything fun and interesting any more arms that may or may not be wild uh, i think i said i Stop playing that last episode. I might be wrong, but yeah, I completely wild. No, so. you did. I just didn't know if you know there was more. No, no. The 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 rearming. I only have two. There's like five or six of them, but I only have two of them. So okay, that's good. Uh, I've been playing Golden Sun, and it's that's a good choice. It's a, it's a good game. It's a good game. I noticed that the I don't know why Matoy is his first name. I think it's Sakuraba. I don't think it's Sakura. I'm not sure. I know that's probably wrong, but the composer for the series, I've noticed that all of his music sounds the exact same because he also did the music for Shining the Holy Ark and Shining Force and Star Ocean and some of the Tales games. And it's just very and Valkyrie profile. So he has like a lot of games he does the music for. But man, does it always it sounds just the same in every single thing. And it's not that it's bad. It's just it's the same damn song all the time. So. I don't know. I don't know why I find that irritating. I don't know why it's bothering that me that much, but it just bothers me. I'm actually surprised you noticed that just because I, I kind of feel like on some level, a lot of the music for most like JRPGs and stuff like that all kind of sound the same. No, on, on some level. I don't think so. 
Eh, maybe I, I, I just don't pay attention as much. There's, I think there's a huge, like, there's a huge distinction between uh, Nobuo Yamatsu and uh, I think Mitsuda, the guy who did like Chrono Trigger. Well, maybe that they're similar, but there's a difference. But like even um, Nobuo Yamatsu, there's you can tell the difference between each Final Fantasy game. This guy, the composer for Golden Sun and a lot of Camelot RPGs and uh, Tri-Ace RPGs, I just think you play one song and you can't say you can't tell me what game it's from unless you're really into it you know as your friend i feel like i i need to let you know that your weeb is showing right now you might want to take care of that i will not hide my weeb i will i will whip out my weeb i will slam it on the table for everyone to look at my weeb and play with it that's right you'll throw it over your shoulder and march around proudly yes damn right i will so on that note uh what are we what are we talking about today what What's our topic? Uh, Weeblevania. Ah. Uh, I'm uh, sorry. Yes. Uh, this week's topic is the immortal Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Hell yeah. That's a great episode for episode 40. And of course, this is in honor of the game I uh, look forward to playing very, very soon with Bloodstain Ritual of the Night, uh, which is coming yes. out. It's already out for the PS4 and Xbox 360, but at the time of this, uh, not 360, uh, Xbox One. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> But as of it the is time now available for your Xbox. Yes. Uh, yep. I don't have it yet because at the time of this recording, it's still not out for the switch. And that's the version I will be getting. And I wish it was the Wii U version, but something kind of happened to the Wii U along the way in the past four years. So that's not a thing. I don't think the Vita version Wii, is. Either. Uh, you mean that it like didn't sell any units and was generally forgotten about? Is that what you mean? Yes. OK, just just making sure. I didn't forget about it. For the record, I actually like my Wii U, but... The Wii U is the best. The Wii U is amazing. Mm, I wouldn't go that far, but it's 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 better than I think a lot of people give it credit for. But I, I am happy to 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 see, though, that um, Bloodstained apparently has turned out spectacularly well from the reviews that I've been kind of seeing come out already. Because um, I was... I mean, you were a backer, so I'm sure you were probably a little bit more concerned about this because uh, you had, like, you know skin in the proverbial game as it were but uh i I was concerned that it was not going to turn out well we were going to have like another mighty number nine situation on our hands or ukulele or broken age or almost any other kickstarter yeah Yeah. major kickstarter because i heard shenmue 3 is making a lot of steam uh people really really happy right now Mm. i heard they they are just doing epically that's fine nobody cares about shenmue oh well I, i i would think that you would find a lot of people who disagree with you on that one <laughs> uh, whatever man if i wanted to just walk around and drive a forklift i could do that for real and get paid i heavily doubt that it also has the best version of space harrier and outrun on it well one of the best versions of it on the original shenmue so you, you can buy that and get it cheaper than what it is in say in uh, japan but we are getting way off topic because this week we are talking about castlevania symphony of the night one of the greatest games of all time, right, Shane? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, maybe some things have not aged super well, but all in all, definitely a, a pretty solid like nine or ten out of ten in my book. But we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. But in the meantime, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a brief history behind Symphony of the Night? By 1997, even though the series was still a major name among gamers, 
Castlevania had become a bit old hat. Being a 2D series in a world where 3D ruled the day, it wasn't supposed to be a game that anyone would care about. The series' most recent release was a poorly received port on the Super Nintendo of a game that hadn't even reached Western audiences in the game Dracula X. By this point, Super Castlevania 4 was almost a distant memory, and with almost every other major series from the previous generations making their way into the third dimension, you would be forgiven if you thought that the best days of vampire killing action were over. Initially starting as a Sega 32X game, yes, that 32X, production shifted to the Sony PlayStation soon after realizing that the 32X was a dumpster fire. It was directed by Toru Hagihara, who had directed the game's predecessor, Dracula X Chino Rondo, or Rondo of Blood, for the PC Engine CD, and written and programmed by a then-unknown Koji Igarashi. While in development, Hagihara was promoted and thus so was Igarashi, who took over for finishing the game. Igarashi has stated that the game was never supposed to be a traditional Castlevania from the get, as developers were taken aback by the amount of previous entries that could be found on, sec on the second-hand market. Igarashi wanted to make a game that would last longer than a traditional action game, and thus took inspiration from The Legend of Zelda and Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, and, uh, maybe a little bit of Metroid, no guessing, to make the game more about rewarding exploration than simply complete levels. While these ideas were briefly explored in Dracula X Rondo of Blood as well, they weren't as fully realized as they would be in Sniff in the End of the Night. What resulted was a game that greatly expanded on what Super Metroid had done, and did it so well it created a name for an entire genre, Metroidvania, or even sometimes called Egovania. The game completely took place within Dracula's castle, whereas previous games explored the linear path to Dracula himself. Drac's castle was to be explored, with no levels other than the ones you gained through experience RPG style. And when you thought you were done, you had an entire second castle to explore as well. In terms of plot, the player would assume the role not of a Belmont, but Alucard, Dracula's son, who had returned to the series from the events of Castlevania III, where he fell his father with Trevor Belmont. Instead of whips, Alucards could equip swords, staves, shields, capes, all sorts of things more akin to an RPG as opposed to an action game. The events take place immediately after Rondo of Blood, but the game actually starts full prologue style. Western fans of the series may not have fully understood this, as Dracula X for the SNES had a limited release, and it wasn't the exact same as its Turbo CD counterpart. Regardless, hardcore Castlevania fans would have been very pleased. While the game didn't see high sales upon release in March of 1997, critical praise and word of mouth quickly spread about how good the game was. Before long, Castlevania Symphony of the Night became regarded as one of the best games for the PlayStation and among the best games of all time. Its success would see re-releases well up into current day, including re-releases on the Sega Saturn, the Xbox 360, and the PlayStation 4, as well as releases as a PS1 Classic for the PS3, PSP, and PS Vita, with an unlockable version in Dracula X Chronicles for the PSP. And that is your brief history of Castlevania Symphony. All right, thank you, Chris. Um, so we have got a lot that we want to talk about uh, regarding this game. And I have a feeling that if we are not careful, we could turn this into one of our older episodes where we go for like three hours. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, if it's not going to become apparent very soon, then it probably will, that both Chris and I are pretty huge fans of this game. I, I mean, I myself, of course, I'm a pretty big fan of just the Castlevania series in general. 
Um, but uh, we've we've got a lot here to cover. So so where do you want to start, Chris? Do you have anything you want to kind of do touch on, like on the off? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just so much here. I mean, we we could go traditional route and just say what was your first experience of the game. But yeah, Shane is absolutely right. Uh, this is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that in one of the previous podcasts. I don't know if it was my top five when we did that way back. But there is so much here where I don't think we're going to be able to address everything that we put in the notes just because this is such a it's a big game and, and we're both really familiar with it. We're both super into it. But I'm going to start off and just say um, how I first experienced the game. And it wasn't a March of 1997, but I think it was the same year because I got it with uh, Metal Gear Solid. And I remember seeing a Castlevania game, which I hadn't seen in forever. I mean, you see Castlevania, you grew up in, you know, during the time we grew up in like late 80s, early 90s, because uh, I was like 12 and this game came out. So I saw the cover out. So it's Castlevania. And for those who don't know, uh, I'm sure most of you do if you're listening to this podcast, the cover art for Castlevania Symphony of the Night in the United States is absolute trash. It looks, <laughs> it looks like the most generic budget title you could possibly think of for a Castlevania game. It doesn't. It's just so innocuous. It's like, oh, wow, like this looks awful. But in any case, it's a Castlevania game. It looked interesting. I had absolutely know nothing about it. I didn't even know it really came out and uh, took it home and started playing it and just kind of got wrapped up into it. I don't remember how I became such a huge fan of it. I just think I started playing it realizing, wow, this game is really good because I don't think it hit me at first about how good it was. But I think it's just as I progressed and as you start learning the spells and as you start realizing that, oh, this is an RPG. This isn't, you know, the old Castlevania games. I realized I was playing something truly special and it just eventually morphed into being one of my f- favorite games of all time. Certainly my favorite game within the series itself and really introduced me to a lot of games in the Castlevania series I didn't even know existed, like uh, Castlevania Bloodlines, uh, Dracula X for the Super Nintendo and uh, got me to play a lot of the other Castlevania games because I was really more out of it. I hadn't played one since the NES. So um, definitely one of my favorite games. I did follow up. I did get the Saturn version, which is inferior, but has a lot of cool stuff. But yeah, big, big fan uh, right off the bat. Been there since the beginning with it. And that's how I got introduced. How about you? Yeah, I, I definitely was not there at the beginning. So this this is another one that kind of fell victim to that whole I didn't own a PlayStation as a kid thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so b- because I was predominantly a, a Nintendo boy, as it were, uh, I I basically didn't even know this game existed for quite a long time, actually. Um, I did play Castlevania 4 because I had my Super Nintendo. So that... That was actually the the majority of my experience with Castlevania, like at that time, because I also hadn't really played much of the original, um, or or the second one, um, at all. And, and truth be told, as much as I say that I am a fan of the Castlevania series, and I am, um, I would also add like a little bit of an addendum to that in that I actually really don't like the first like two or three of them. Like basically, I I, I like. Super Castlevania 4, and that's only because they made a lot of improvements to it uh, of the formula of like the first three and that it controls better and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I I really don't like how the the originals play like at all. I'm really Um, shocked because three, I think three is fantastic. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe I should give that one another shot because I haven't had a lot of experience with it, but I, I know at least the first two I just 
I don't know. They never really grabbed me. Um, so I, I definitely came to the series later, but everything after that I really enjoy. And I think a large part of it is because the vast majority of Castlevania content post like PlayStation one era was very much informed by, you know, the decisions that were made going into this game, um, at least for the, the 2d titles, uh, 3d, that's a whole other bag of really terrible worms. But so, so that's, I, I didn't, I'm trying to remember because I know the way that I came into this was kind of backwards in that I played, um, a couple of like the DS titles, uh, first, and then eventually I had come back around to this one. Like, I don't think I actually played this game until I picked it up for Xbox 360. That's how late I got to it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, to be fair, that was still like, I think now that's still like 12 years ago. God, don't remind me. <laughs> uh, which I still actually have it installed on my 360 out in the living room, as a matter of fact. Same, um, same. But yeah, so that's that's kind of my experience with it. Um, so I didn't get the same sort of initial shock of like, oh, holy shit, this is something totally different. I was kind of I kind of got more of like a all right, I can appreciate this because I see like, you know, I see where things like, you know, Circle of the Moon or like Order of Ecclesia or like, you know, Aria of Sorrow or any of those got, you know, their sort of inspiration from. Um, so I kind of appreciated it in that way. Mm-hmm. Also, for the record, you know, um, probably sometime around when you were playing Symphony of the Night and enjoying a fantastic Castlevania game, I was unironically enjoying Castlevania 64. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I had the better experience. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I think Symphony, Symphony came out before 64 as well. I yeah. believe. Yeah. I think that's, that's another big travesty. Um, cause at this point, as I, as I said in the brief history, almost every other series was starting to transition over to 3d. By this point, Mario had done it. Uh, metal gear. Had, it was just about to do it. If not, it did it the same year. Same with the legend of Zelda did it the same year. Um, and all metal gear wasn't a huge, really a huge series up until that point, but it, it was still another game that transitioned from, from a 2d game over to a 3d game. And so, a lot of people were starting to wonder for their old franchises, because we were all coming out of a 2D generation, what would the 3D generation bring for our favorite series? And even though, like, I would say Castlevania hadn't really been a big thing since Super Castlevania 4, which, mm-hmm. truth be told, was only five years, which now as an adult is like no time at all. But when you're a kid, five years is a long time. Uh, it was still recognized as a major series. So to see Castlevania, to see a game like Castlevania come out in 1997 and it not be a 3D game. Yes, Final Fantasy as well. But we talked about that game too much becoming a 3D environment. But um, seeing a game that was still in 2D, I think that initially kind of made me concerned if I was going to like it. Um, I don't know how what you thought about 2D games back in the 90s, because I think we are all kind of wrapped up. And looking for the future of video games and what the future of video games are going to look like and thinking that 2D yeah. games were a thing of the past. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I think at that time, because I kind of I still had my Super Nintendo and then my like N64 kind of plugged in side by side. I I, I don't know. I guess I, I know I, I to be fair, I also wasn't as like kind of deep into 
the the inner workings of games and like where the industry was going and like all of that sort of thing or like you know rumors and scuttlebutt coming out of japan or what have you like i i had no cognizance of that whatsoever like the only thing that i had that was even close to that was like i was subscribed to pc gamer magazine for many many years and of course that was pc centric so any console stuff i really had no like awareness of at all Uh um so to me it was just kind of like they just existed side by side and that was fine um i think it was it would have been surprising had i played it at that time i think to play a 2d game on a well then next gen console um, because my assumption was that the N64 and the PlayStation, they were strictly 3D. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So I, I suppose, yeah, it probably would have been surprising um, had I actually had that experience. So since I think we're both in agreement that that we enjoy this game, all right? Uh, um, yes, pretty sure, yeah. And I think we're, let's just say now the game does hold up. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, we can get that out of the way now. Let's yeah, get out of the way. I mean, it, it, it holds up, okay? So let's not for, talk for about many it For many reasons, but I mean, mm-hmm. actually being 2D is is one of those just because generally speaking 2d games hold up far far better than you know uh first generation 3d polygonal models that look like garbage oh yeah uh it's definitely aged much better than many of its counterparts (laughs) um so my question my next question be have you played super metroid uh yeah yeah i have okay is castlevania better than super metroid symphony of the night um God, man, that's a tough call. Cause like, I I would, I almost want to say that like objectively, I think Super Metroid is a better game. Mm. But stylistically, I feel like Symphony of the Night has that on it, and I think that's just because I'm a, I, I'm a grown up scene kid. So like the whole like dark aesthetic still speaks to me on some stupid level <laughs> so I, so i think it has that going for it i mean and not to say that like super metroid doesn't have amazing like uh sprite work and, and pixel art or anything because it totally does but i don't know i feel like aesthetically i feel like symphony is the better game but mechanically and i think in the way that the game is sort of laid out like like one of the things that i kind of pointed out in the admittedly small list of negatives that i have for this game yeah. was that um there are some points where i feel like it does a really bad job of signposting for you and and i'm not saying that i think that people should be led by the hand through a game because that's not true um most of the time that's actually a bad thing to have because things get boring really quick but there are definitely a few times in this game playing through it where I've had no idea what I was supposed to do or where I was supposed to go. And there was really not much that was directing me. Um, and you can do that subtly without having just a big flashing neon sign saying like, go this way. But comparatively, I kind of feel like, uh, on the whole, I think super Metroid did a little bit better job of helping to guide you as a player through this sort of, you know, semi open ended sprawling environment. Uh, I say I didn't really have that issue with Symphony of the Night. I, I never really did. I had more of an issue with that with Super Metroid. I don't want to get too in, into the weeds on on specific. I don't want this to be a Symphony of the Night versus Metroid episode, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I kind of opened that can of worms anyway, so that's my fault. But yeah, um, fault. yeah it is my fault. Uh, I didn't. I, I did find that Castlevania for the most part did guide you very well, and I think up until. 
the very end of the first castle. And yes, there will be spoilers in this, by the way, uh, because it's a uh, 22-year-old video game. And I think most of you have played it anyway. But um, I think when you're trying to release Richter from Shaft's control and <laughs> there, there's it's, Shaft. it's not it's not necessarily it's not out there in the open. Right. Uh, you really like I think I had to read a fact at the time just to figure out how to, you know, that there was an inverted castle because a lot of people were like, oh, I was so surprised there was an inverted castle. Or I never knew there was inverted castle because the game doesn't really let you know that there's a way to free Richter. Like it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't really point you in that direction. Now, there's some items you look at and it'll be like, oh, you'd use this to see other things. And if you just have this intuition and be like, you know what? A bell announcer can't really be the bad guy. But of course, there's a lot of those beat em ups where, you know, like in Double Dragon or Streets of Rage where uh, you get to the end and it's like, well, we're both dating this chick. So let's beat each other up for it. And your brother's the bad guy all along because you're, you don't want to share your girlfriend with your brother for, yeah, I don't know. Double dragons. Weird. I mean, I, f- I feel like that's, that's not something like that. that I'm, I'm okay with that, that I don't see why anybody would not, you yeah. know, but sure. Why? I don't, maybe I'm drawing a weird parallel here, but I mean, it's, it was acceptable for me to think that uh, Richter Belmont could be the bad guy. Another reason mm-hmm. for that, of course, is I didn't play the original Dracula X. Uh, on mm. the TurboGrafx CD, which probably would have helped uh, when it came to wondering whether or not Richter Belmont was really a bad guy. That could be another reason. Uh, could be. You know, it's kind of a minor, some minor details. But I always felt like, first of all, I thought the story was better in Symphony of the Night than Metroid. I thought navigating around the castle was easier uh, in Symphony of the Night than Metroid. I think the controls when you're trying to get to high places, like the wall jump in Super Metroid, I fucking hate that. Uh, whereas you just press down up or you turn into a bat in Castlevania to make navigating through the castle a hell of a lot easier. So um, exploration is easier. And I, I saw in like your notes, you said, yeah, it's probably too easy. But I think that's balanced out. The game is you're supposed to explore. It's, it's supposed to be all about exploration and what you're trying to find and how you can get to different areas. And can you get 100 percent of the castle on your map? And mm. if you don't have a guide or a fact or anything like that, it, it you have to innovate the way you can get to every single part and maybe you'll find a critical item along the way i think castlevania did a better job of that once you learned how to use all your items where super metroid was more dickish about where it put some of its items like it it wasn't (laughs) like you would definitely not know that unless you were dropping bombs in every single fucking square inch of the game yeah on some level like i kind of feel like that's just an issue with both of the games anyway i mean and this style of game to some extent where you know they have a lot of those you know hidden areas or secret items or or what have you that like really there is no way of knowing that unless you are running up against and you know slashing at every single wall you find which is sort of a learned behavior because i totally do that in any of these games now Mm -hmm. (laughs) um just because of that very reason it's sort of the same way that like after the first time I got attacked by a mimic chest in Dark Souls, I then proceeded to hack at every single chest I ever came across in any other Dark Souls game ever before I opened it, just so I wouldn't get hit by another fucking mimic. So kind of that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so also just for the record, I would say my answer was that I think objectively there are a lot of arguments maybe for why Super Metroid might be a, the better game, but my personal opinion overall is that I, I I actually still like Symphony better. 
Uh-huh. So, so it's it's still my number one out of those two. I think I think another thing I, I really like. Uh, let's talk mm. about the opening. Uh, the opening of the game, which really oh, yeah. sets the tone for Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So, like I said in the brief intro, you start at the end of Dracula X Rondo of Blood. It's almost scene for scene the exact same thing. Like now mm-hmm. again, if if you're if you were an American playing this game, you're like, what the fuck is this? Um, who's this little girl who comes in to save me? Uh, why am I not playing as the dude with the whip? This is a Castlevania game. I want to get my BDSM on like I do all the I time. Say, I, and, unless you're just really good at the game, like right from the off and defeat Dracula without getting killed, right? I doubt there was a lot of people who did that, but I'm sure there were because, of course, there are. And, of course, you'll have someone says, I never knew Maria came to save you. Yeah, shut up. But, um... <laughs> Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> humble brag. Um, <laughs> you're good. We get it. But, um... Yeah, that was really cool because like you, you, you start the game and all of a sudden you're fighting Dracula and you're like, why am I fighting Dracula now? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going on. And uh, then you're all of a sudden you're riding through the forest and you're Alucard. And OK, hold on. It wasn't on. like a ride moment, but it was cool. I say, no, we need, we need to be clear about this. You are not riding through the forest. You are fucking sprinting. And and that's that's actually one of the things that I really liked about the intro is is the fact that like a- after you do the whole like you know ending section from Dracula X and that um, sort of resolves itself, then you start playing as Alucard and Alucard's like intro into this game is you see the ca- the camera starts like you know panning really quickly through this forest scene and then you have a couple of birds and like an owl that sort of fly in. Um, both in the fore and the background. Um, and then you see Alucard just fucking hauling ass and he just like overtakes these birds and then continues on. And in like one jump, like makes it into the gate, like of the castle as it's closing. And I just love how they kind of compose that whole scene just because without, you know, being super overt with it, they kind of like used those birds to give you that sense of speed of like, Oh shit, this guy is like, He's got some power behind him and then you get to play as him. And up until the point where death becomes just a total fucking troll and steals all your shit, Mm -hmm. which is like five minutes into the game, you feel like a total badass, which is awesome. I mean, this is a whole other discussion that maybe will go down the rabbit hole someday, but uh, there's something to be said for designing a game to make the player feel just cool, like that it's just fun and I feel that that's been lost in a lot of cases these days with like more modern games um, where it, you know, sometimes it's okay to to design something to just be like, you know what, like, this is just, this is like some fan service, basically. This is, you're going to feel like a badass and that's okay. And this is one of those moments. And I really do appreciate that. Right. But I think when you mentioned that too, I think Symphony of the Night establishes a lot of things too, right off the bat with its opening. One, mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the series, because the game is so different, it introduces elements that remind you that it's a Castlevania game because you do get to start out playing as a Belmont um, and everything. All is, It's your typical Castlevania game, but then it changes over to Alucard and Alucard looks different. He behaves different. He has a different weapon. So now all of a sudden you're like, OK, it's a Castlevania game, but I'm playing as a different character. So you're still if you if you're a fan of the Castlevania series, you're not disappointed. If you're playing as Alucard, it's not like a ride and switch, right? 
right. because you, you get Alucard. The next thing is you're extremely powerful. You get to see what Alucard is capable of right you know right off the bat. Not not to the extent that he can be later in the game uh, when you can get completely broken. But <laughs> and I'll let you dive into that because I'm stealing all your notes. But um, you, you get to see what, how powerful he can be. You get to see you know how much damage you can do with the Alucard sword and the ability that you can you know warp to the other side if you do like the, the fireball command uh, right off the bat. And you know it's it's so cool. You see how what you can do. And then yes, death takes all your stuff. And then you're like, oh shit, I'm weak again. I want to be that powerful again. Or at least this is how I felt. I want to be that powerful again. How do I become that powerful? And then when you fight a skeleton, uh, you get a sword. And then mm-hmm. you're like, I can, how do I do this? I got to equip this sword. And then the sword isn't as powerful as your Alucard sword. And you're like, there's more powerful stuff here. There, and you start seeing the things that you can equip. So the game does a very good job of introducing you to all the dynamics that it has. And you can explore right off the bat. You don't have, you know, you can go up, you uh, you can go and you can fight the mermen and grind for levels for a bit down over by the water. Uh, you see that there's locked doors. You see that there's areas that may not necessarily be available to you right off the bat. So you know that you're going to have to explore this castle. You know that there's things you're going to have to get. You know there's items that you're going to have to accumulate. And I that the beginning does a very, very, very good job of explaining those things to you without hammering you over the head with a tutorial tutorial or message bubbles or anything like that. And oh God. that's why that's that's just good game design. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that, too, is that this is one of those instances where um, you can see just really excellent game design at work. And it's if you if you are able to show the player and not tell them what they need to do and how to play the game, then your your players are going to have a much better time with it, first of all. Because, listen, as much as I know both of us are huge fans of RPGs, RPGs are some of the biggest offenders of this where you will have to sit through just menu and like dialogue screen after dialogue screen when you start a game because they need because these games are so complex that they need to like take 20 minutes at the beginning to explain everything to you before you have any clue how to play like as a quick aside i started playing um world of final fantasy maxima on steam Mm -hmm. um because i i actually had it for a while but i picked up the maxima upgrade for it on sale like a couple days ago so so i started playing it um and it's a it's a fun little game, but it suffers so hard from this problem where you've just got this little like compatriot that follows you around and every fucking five seconds you are stopped by another dialogue screen where they need to explain another like mechanic in the game. And it really detracts from the experience. So something like Symphony of the Night um, does this superbly, where, as Chris was saying, you see little bits of all of the mechanics that go into how this game is going to work for the other, you know, whatever, 20 hours or something that you're going to put into it right from the beginning. Uh, And that was something I was taking note of, too, as I was kind of playing through the beginning part of this again prior to this episode, seeing these things, you know, where you get the sword drop. And then one of the first rooms after you get that sword drop is split in two by a wall. And so you see on the other side that there's an item on the floor and there's a door. So you're like, oh, okay, I need to find a way to get there, but I can't get there now. So I guess I'll have to come back later. 
And so all of these things are communicated without ever having to sit through some text. And I, I really, really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of other people did as well. Oh, absolutely. So one of the other things, um, as we were talking about some of the, I guess, attention to detail and things that, that the, you know, developers put into this game, I just want to take a moment and, and, in case you weren't expecting this, dear listener, we're just going to be gushing about this for most of this episode. So I hope you're uh-huh. buckled in for that. But there are a lot of things that are probably pretty minor in the grand scheme, but I really do appreciate from a design angle in this game. And so just to name a few, right, um, is Alucard's movement. So even at the beginning when you're still relatively speaking kind of slow and you haven't gotten any of your movement upgrades or anything like that, just kind of baked into Alucard's um, movement cycle is uh, this little like backward slide. So whenever you change directions, um, he instead of just turning around and running the other way um, or skidding to a stop like Mario does, for example, um, instead he starts moving in the other direction, but he starts that animation off by sliding backwards in this like weirdly supernatural way. And then he kind of flips around and starts running. And it's a really minor thing, but it's a great touch. And, and then sort of like in addition to that, one of the first things I'm sure most people notice is this sort of like ghostly, like shimmery effect that he has when he moves. Um, he's got this like trail that leaves behind him. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I noticed uh, is uh, one of the enemies that you encounter pretty early in the game will poison you if you get hit by them. And when Alucard is poisoned, that little like ghost trail effect that he normally has uh, disappears, which again is like subtle, but like really well done. Uh-huh. I, I think it keeps up well with the motif as well that you're playing as a vampire. Yeah, he moves yeah. more more floaty, but that's acceptable because he's more supernatural than what you would right. expect from, you know, a human. Like you said, he, he has the trail. He has uh, – uh, you can do the backdash and it's faster. And he has all these uh, graphical effects that are just very supernatural with the character. And it fits in. Uh, all the movements, the way he controls, it, it fits well into the character they are trying to portray. And I – that, I think that's something that a lot of people miss. Like every single time he turns and and he kind of leans down like he's just sort of floating through the the castle as opposed to just kind of running and walking through the castle uh, really plays into the aspect that he is half vampire. He is half supernatural as opposed to when you're playing with Richter, uh, the movement, the way he kind of controls plays more as to what you can expect from playing a character like Richter. Uh, mm. So that was actually another thing when you mentioned attention to detail, things like that. They're just very, very, very subtle, but are always present. And I, I hate to use the word immersion, but increase the immersion that you have <laughs> within the game itself. No, de- I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's definitely become a buzzword over the years. And so I get your kind of aversion to it, but it definitely applies in this situation, I think. And, and and one of the last things before we kind of move on to something else here that I just wanted to point out because I really appreciated it was if you're using like the throwing daggers as your secondary weapon, uh, one like really minor thing that they've put in there, but it just adds to the whole overall effect is that if you hit one of the walls or or a solid object with those throwing knives, it will kind of like it'll bounce off of them and you know make a little tink noise and like fly off which 
seems like inconsequential, you know, when, when you say it out loud, but when you see it in practice, like I just really appreciate that they added that because a lot of other games that might not have spent as much time on the details like that would have probably just had that dagger just kind of sail through and then off the screen or something. Cause I see that a lot, you know, in, in other games, but the fact that like it actually interacts with the objects and the environment in the world does it does lend itself to that level of immersion and it actually matters. Um, so I, I just really appreciated that. Also all the callbacks, like um, if, if you're in the Coliseum, the, the carcass of the monster that was chasing Richter and Dracula X is down mm-hmm. there. Like, because remember he falls, he, he falls right. as you're going to the castle uh, and, and as he's chasing you. The other thing like Alucard and they, the, the boss battle that you have against Sypha, Trevor and Grant, or their clones, or their resurrected corpse, or their case. And, like, that was really cool. And that was one of the, like, highlights of the game. And you're thinking to yourself, like, I didn't really get into Castlevania 3. I only remember, like, Grant from Castlevania 3. I didn't know Alucard was in it. And then you go back and you realize, this is what got me back into the previous games of the series, like Castlevania 3. But, yeah, just as, as Shane said, this game is just loaded down with detail, just down to every single effort. It's just beautifully crafted. You can tell that a lot of effort really went into making sure this game was uh, was was just beautiful. Yeah, and a lot of that can definitely be attributed to Igarashi for sure, who, um, I didn't know this, but apparently Chris kind of did some detective work here and had looked into Igarashi's sort of um, resume, I guess, and seen that he hadn't really done a whole lot prior to this, but then afterwards he kind of became the guy, so... Chris, you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Because I do find this interesting. Yeah, so before Symphony of the Night, the only games he was a programmer for really was uh, two games that, well, three games that aren't really big in America, uh, with the exception of maybe one. But the three games are Detana, Twin B, uh, Gradius 2, and Tokimeki Memorial. And Tokimeki Memorial was was kind of a big deal in Japan. I kind of remember that, that back in the day being a thing. I didn't know specifics, but it was kind of a thing. But that was really it. He got special thanks in the credits for Dracula X, but not much other than those three, and he was kind of a smaller part. And it's right after Symphony of the Night, he was the Castlevania guy. Like, everything that he did was Castlevania, um, including the 3D versions of Castlevania, except for Castlevania 64, because that one was absolutely terrible. And <laughs> I'll say, and, and it shows. <laughs> and it shows. Because uh, Lament of, Inf- uh, Lament of In- Innocence and Curse of mm-hmm. Darkness weren't terrible games. Uh, they were just, you know, they, they were lackluster games, but they, they played well enough, and, and they weren't awful. And he stayed with the Castlevania series up until Lords of Shadow. Uh, and really, there's only two other games he ever really did for Konami, and that was a PS2 game, little known game known as, uh, called Nano Breaker, which I have not played. Shane, have you played Nano Breaker? Uh, I had not heard of that until today. Okay. And uh, <laughs> one of the games that I picked up recently that uh, is on our Instagram, if you don't believe me, but uh, the game that contains a pillowcase as one of its items in a special edition. Uh, uh, yes. A game called Ultimatius Excellence, which is a spiritual successor to Gradius. Uh, the Gradius series where they take anime girls and they pretty much pers- use those anime girls as the personification of the ships in previous Konami space shooters. That is such a weird fucking mashup. Like, I I, I suppose I shouldn't expect any different from Japan, but that's 
that's so fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, is it, is it at least a good game? Like, have you played it? I haven't had time to sit down and play it. I need just I need to dust off my 360. No, no, I I get it. You've been spending all the time with the the pillow. It's I understand. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cleaned up um, many of my tears. There you go. Yes. Um, in any case, <laughs> so in case you're wondering, the guy who made Castlevania, the dark gothic, you know, s- series, you know, starting with the Symphony of the Night, is pretty much responsible for that. Also has a cutesy anime game where uh, they are spaceships. So there is there is that. And of yes. course, uh, he, we he have is this... a he is a multifaceted individual. Yes. And of course, we 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 would be remiss if we were not to say that of course Koji Igarashi is responsible for Bloodstained, pretty much 100. percent uh, yeah, and no, because Bloodstain is Castlevania, let's just be honest. But also, if you haven't ever gone and looked, you should go go look up the um, the like Kickstarter promotional videos that he put together when they started doing Bloodstained because they are just they are the right amount of cheese and they're they're pretty excellent. Cheese, <laughs> mm, and he drinks wine. Uh, he, he does, which makes it perfect. Speaking of great things in this game mm. i was we need to talk about the soundtrack yeah, the yeah sound, we do. soundtrack by many 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 people is considered to be one of the greatest soundtracks of all time i think it's a very very good soundtrack i wouldn't put it up there on the same level as say final fantasy tactics i think that is a i think that's a better soundtrack uh, i do think there are other better soundtracks uh, out there uh xenoblade is one of them i think well the xeno sagas uh, just the Xeno games in general have better soundtracks, I think. Uh, I know that's a personal view. But that's not to say that it's a bad soundtrack, uh, which was composed by the pretty much the main Castlevania series composer, uh, Michiro Yamane, who has composed the music for pretty much every Castlevania game from Sa- uh, Symphony of the Night up until uh, the last one that they did before Lords of Shadow, which I think is Order of Ecclesia. Mm-hmm. Which is hard as shit, by the way. I haven't played it, but I need to. Interestingly enough, she also did the soundtrack for the Rocket Knight series. And before this, she had for the Castlevania series, she did it through Bloodlines, which also has a fantastic soundtrack. Uh, and I just got to say, there are some areas in Castlevania Symphony of the Night where the soundtrack just blows my mind. Like the uh, Coliseum, for example, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I also like the Outer Walls. I think that's one of the best ones. Yeah, yeah, that one's good. I do think the Inverted Castle's music, I know it's supposed to be more atmospheric, but it can get old really quick. I, I'm not saying it's bad music. I'm just saying it's atmospheric music, and there's a, it, it repeats a lot, and it's not necessarily the fault of the composer. I just I just don't like the Inverted Castle as a whole to begin with. But Yeah, say not necessarily related to the music completely but you're talking about the inverted castle thing too and i i was actually operating under the assumption that this was an unpopular opinion but the more that i've looked into it apparently it's not um Mm -hmm. that i really don't like the inverted castle portion of this game like at all it it was like cool the first time you see it because you know you think you've finished the game and then it's like oh shit like you've got this whole other thing you can do now and that's cool and like it's a really neat thing that they did um but it's like not that fun to play through it's just 
I don't, I don't want to like necessarily derail you from the conversation of the soundtrack or anything, but yeah, you, you just, you just brought up a thing about the inverted castle. And so I, it reminded me of that. Well, let's go there. I mean, you obviously have heaps of praise for the soundtrack. Like you like the soundtrack. I do. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's definitely up there in the, in the top for me for sure. And, and part, well, again, this is part of, part of that is just because I, I really appreciate sort of the blend of, more classical like orchestral music with the inclusion of like the electric guitar and stuff. I think that that was done mm-hmm. really well and probably also part of the reason that I like a lot of symphonic metal, but uh, <laughs> so yes, uh, soundtrack's phenomenal. One of the best of all times. Go listen to it. I think that you can buy it, still buy it on CD for cheap and you can get uh, it on vinyl, mm-hmm. which includes the Saturn Saturn songs, which are remakes of classic Castlevania songs that are just complete uh, complete goth metal. I love it. But uh, <laughs> going back, so like, okay, let's go there to the Inverted Castle. Yeah. So there are moments where I think that the Inverted Castle was a last-minute tack-on. Like they mm-hmm. got done with the game and thought to themselves, this is too short. What if we just take the castle and flip it upside down? And we now have an entire second half of this game. Uh, and there's other moments where you look at how it's designed. And I'm like, oh, okay, uh, maybe this was intentional because there's some items or there's some levels that when you flip it upside down, it actually looks like it was designed to be played that way. But overall, I just felt the inverted castle was just empty. It didn't really have any content the same way that the regular castle did, where the regular cr- castle seemed to have progression. It seemed to have things you could do. Bosses weren't just randomly placed places. I, I, it's it's I mean, it's just more nonlinear in the inverted castle. And you could really set yourself up for a bad day if you don't know what you're doing. And I guess that's risk reward. Right. But at the same time, it just feels empty and purposeless. Well, and it also feel I mean, to, to your earlier point about having some of the areas feel as though they were like purposefully designed to also flip over and be played that way. That that's probably true. And, and they may have either had that idea from the get-go or they may have gone back and like tweaked some things to make it work better. But honestly, by and large, it kind of feels as though they weren't designed with that in mind, or at least not initially, because traversal in the inverted castle kind of sucks. Um, Even though at this point in the game, you've kind of gotten all of your movement abilities. So you have everything at your disposal, but it just doesn't feel as good and it's kind of hard to explain um when you're you're playing through the castle the first halfway through when it's the normal portion movement feels good um that's one of the things that they definitely nailed in in the in this game for sure um it's fluid it's tight it's responsive it feels good um and then you do as you said kind of get this progression as you go along of okay well now i've been able to do all this but then also i now have a double jump or i can you know turn into a bat and fly up here or what have you and so that all feels really good and then you get to the inversion part and then even though you have all of those tools in your toolkit for some reason it just doesn't feel as good and i think it's because of the level layout because when when it inverts then all of a sudden you've got some places where like doors are on the ceiling or like way up on a wall and the only way to get there is to like fly there as a bat or do some weird you know mechanics to get to it, super and jump. it just yeah like the super jump or something and it 
it just doesn't it feels bad so one i think it's just the overall design that i think a lot of aspects of it weren't designed to be upside down i'm not sure i mean that could definitely be the case mm-hmm. uh again i still think like they they probably got to a certain point in development they're like well we want a longer game because if it ends at the regular castle it's like what a three four hour game and, and they're like well we, we want a little bit we want more than that i think that's one aspect to it but i think the biggest aspect to it is it's not fun to play as a bat. It's not fun to play as the wolf. It's not fun to play as mist. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun to super jump. But even that, if that's all you're doing to get to locations, it becomes old. Whereas the beginning, where, where the, the, the regular castle, you're gaining these abilities. You're, you're doing new things with them. There are sections that are locked off to you specifically so you can use these abilities. And then you get to the inverted castle and you know all the secrets. But you have to use them far more often. But the, the, the reality sinks in is it's not fun to play as the bat. At least I didn't think so. No, no, not at all. So if it's not fun to be these things, if they made it more fun to be, you know, these familiars, then I think the inverted castle would be would be far less sufferable. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that it just it, it kind of feels like a chore almost. Right. I mean, you're rewarded for a lot of stuff that you do get while you're in the inverted castle for doing random stuff like more life, more health sure. uh, items, but you don't really need it. Especially like items is, is like, can you get, is the chrysogram in the upside down castle? Mm, I know it's in the I library. I can't remember. It's in the regular, I think it's in the upside down library, inverted library. Probably. But yeah, you get like the chrysogram there. But once you have the chrysogram, the game's over. You, you don't need anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> so actually talk, talking about items and stuff, um, I know we, like we said, we've got a bunch of things. We could probably go on for another hour about this, but w- yeah. I guess one of the last things that I kind of want to touch on, um, is is the itemization in this game and to be fair like this is kind of the first of its kind so you gotta cut it some slack i guess but sort of related to the notion that this game is perhaps a little too easy by some standards you can also just completely break the game uh if you're using certain items and and one of those that's pretty popularized now uh, and, and of course, you might not necessarily have known this, you know, when the f- game first came out, of course, but, you know, 20 something years down the line, you know, people have kind of figured everything out that there is to know about the game. And um, the the shield rod trick, as it's sort of colloquially known as on the Internet, just trivializes the whole the game, the game like what uh, and granted, as you were saying, it's kind of whatever's left of the game because you get these things a little bit later on. But once you get the shield rod and then your Alucard shield and you use them simultaneously, all you need to do from that point forward is attack with your shield. And I know that sounds odd, but if you just hold your shield up, so you hold that button down, um, you will do damage to anything you run into. And you do about 240-ish damage per tick with it, and you also heal every time you hit with it. So you are not only doing insane amounts of damage, but you are also almost unkillable. And you can take down Dracula in about two to three seconds with this. So there there are definitely ways, and that's not the only one, by the way, but there are definitely ways that you can very easily kind of break this game and just make it, like, silly. I, I, but at the same point, yeah, you can do that. But if it's your first playthrough and you don't have a guide or a fact or anything like that, that you get rewarded for that stuff through ex- through experimentation and exploration. Right. So I think it's forgivable. 
because you're not going to know that unless unless one you you find it somewhere the internet was out in 1997 so yeah you could have found it on the internet but uh, or you bought the or you bought the fact right you bought the you bought the walkthrough from Brady Games or Prima Games or whoever the, whoever the hell made it but right. you wouldn't know that unless you're trying these things out so yeah does it get too easy do you have game breaking items like the Chris Grimm or the uh, the shield rod trick or stuff like that yeah you absolutely do. But you're not going. Most people that are playing this game or playing it casually uh, <laughs> probably are going to try to get the Alucard Cape, the Alucard Sword, and the Alucard Shield because that's the gear you get at the beginning of the game. So they're probably thinking to themselves, "This is the the pinnacle of what Alucard can be, and this is how I want to play as Alucard." And they may or may not experience uh, experiment with the Shield Rod and Alucard Shield. That might not be a thing they try. True, and I guess to be fair, like the the difficulty level being as sort of low as it is um, does, I guess in a way sort of promote that let's go with build diversity to kind of use a term from other action RPGs um, to where you can be successful in the game with pretty much anything you want, um, which, which is nice. You, You don't, you're not sort of pigeonholed into using like a certain subset of items in order to be successful. So, so that is definitely a plus. Yeah. Uh, I also have to say this about the difficulty. Technically, the game is only as difficult as you want it to be mm. since it does use a level system. And it's if you're ever stuck anywhere, it's just as easy as going to go grind. True. So but, yeah, if you that is true, if you think the game is too easy, I know it's part of the mechanics. It's limiting yourself, which I, I'm not for because if the game promotes grinding, then then that's what you do. You grind. That's the normal difficulty is to grind. So you have to limit yourself in order to get that enjoyment out of the game to make it more difficult, which I always have a problem with games uh, doing that as a or as a reasoning to say, well, the game's hard if you don't play it the, the way it's meant to be played. Well, no shit. Of course, it's going to be harder if you play it the way it's not meant to be played because it's not meant to be played that way. But um, <laughs> by that aspect, yes, if you do want it to be harder, just don't grind. And you will have a harder experience. You will have a more difficult experience. Yeah. And so a lot of these things that we're kind of bringing up as some detractions from an otherwise pretty stellar game. Oh, yeah. um, I I would argue also were maybe not 100 percent, but were ironed out for the most part in a lot of the follow up titles, which is why. And this is, of course, subjective, but. I would actually make the argument that a number of the uh, handheld Castlevanias are actually superior games in a lot of ways to this, just simply because they kind of had this as a foundation and then were able to build off of it and improve, much in the same way that this game was one of the last sort of hurrahs for, you know, 2D sprite-based games. And so, of course, you would expect it to be at the peak of its game, you know, like the sprite work is amazing and everything is done very well because they've had all of that time to perfect that particular craft. So in the same way, a lot of like the DS titles, for example, um, which is where the 2d Castlevania series kind of lived on uh, because everything else, as Chris mentioned, went, you know, pretty much exclusively 3d. And in Castlevania's case, it was largely to its detriment, but but anyway, I would argue that those are probably better games overall. Right, but I, I think Castlevania gets buoyed just by the fact that, and I found this interesting when I looked it up, it is the last original Castlevania game to be released for a home console 
in 2D. Mm. So, I mean, if you say... Like the last like, ever? The last ever original game. Because okay. you have Castlevania Chronicles, but that's a remake. And right. uh, Castlevania, the, advent, uh, the Castlevania Adventure Rebirth is a reimagining. So I wouldn't mm. call it an original game. So yes, True. is the last original 2D Castlevania game for a home console... And you can't play any of those DS games or portable games, you know, mastered or optimized for a home TV screen. So when you when you put that into account, it's still I still would prefer to play Castlevania Symphony of the Night as opposed to uh, Dawn of Sorrow or Portrait of Ruin or Order of Ecclesia or the GBA games like Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance and Aria of Sorrow. I'm not saying they're they're worse games, especially I would say, you know, Dawn of Sorrow is a very, very, very close second to Castlevania Symphony of the Night. But I would still rather play Symphony just because I like playing games on my TV more. Well, see, that's why I'm holding out for Konami to put together a second Castlevania collection where it's all just the like handheld titles. That would be amazing. Yes, but until then, <laughs> we have Bloodstained. That, that is true. We do have that. Well... We will have that for those of us waiting for the Switch version. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That would yeah. be me me and you. Okay. So um, we probably missed a lot about this game. There's so much to this game. We love this game. We gushed over it a lot. Um, there are things we didn't get to. There are probably things you're stewing about that we didn't talk about. Yeah, sure, I get it. Art direction is great. Art, art, the artist is phenomenal. Uh, we were going to talk about that, but we didn't. Not much more to this game. I can think of, Shane, do you have any last bits you want to wrap up? Um, no, not really. Um, yeah, I think actually, I think we did a pretty good job of touching on a lot of it. And and even though we're very clearly fans of this game, I don't think that, um, that kind of goes without saying, but I think we, I think we did all right with kind of bringing up some of the, some of the less than positive angles, because I've seen a Mm -hmm. lot of folks kind of just, you know, put this game up on a proverbial pedestal and say it's literally the best thing ever and how dare you criticize it and there's nothing wrong with it this is this literally cured aids or something and it it, 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 well now i'm here to tell you that uh (laughs) it it in fact did not um yeah no sad day but no game is without its faults and, and i think that there definitely are some and they come out Certainly over time, um, there are some pieces that, as we mentioned, maybe haven't aged super well in the game. But by and large, if if you are sitting there kind of stewing about the fact that we didn't touch on something, or maybe you want to know more even, just go play the damn game because it's really fucking good. Or leave a comment on one of our uh, social media posts. I mean, sure, you could do that too, but do that and then go play the fucking game. Well, yeah, definitely play the game if you have not. Uh, With that being said, you can find us on social media as we pretend, uh, not pretend, but as we proceed to wrap this up on all sorts (laughs) of things. As we pretend to wrap this up, surprise, it's an inverted podcast and we're going to go on for another hour. (laughs) Yes. Next, we're going to be talking about um, all the different various ports. See, we're just expanding and doubling it. So as we proceed to wrap this up, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, and we have a stream every Sunday at 9 p.m., Eastern time, uh, United States. Uh, we, we would love to see you there. As we said in the intro, you know, they are pretty empty. So if you get there, we will be paying attention <laughs> to you as long as they remain as empty as they are. Uh, we also have our two lovely patrons. Uh, we do need to reach out to you. We want to thank you. We want to know um, probably by your patron name. Uh, I'm kind of doing this impromptu. So Shane's probably like, shit, why didn't we think of this before? But <laughs> shit, we we're going off script. And you guys are amazing. Uh, and you can find us on Patreon. 
uh, which is at patreon.com slash retrohangover. Uh, I don't want to fuck that up. Is that right, Shane? I mean, or you could just go to bit.ly slash rhpatron. That also works. Which is bit.ly slash rhpatron. That's right. Uh, you can also find us at merch, which is bit.ly, bit.ly slash rhp merch. If you mm-hmm. want to support uh, the show and wear our swag, uh, we will love you long time forever. So uh, that's where you can find us other than what you're listening to right now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Shane, have any last parting words? Uh, no. All right. So until <laughs> next time, play with your transforming, transmuting, familiar eyes joysticks. <laughs>